Hello, 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 my fact friends and fiends. Welcome back to yet again another episode of Let's Talk About the Facts with your host, Elizabeth Fury. I realized I did miss our one-year anniversary, and that is 100% on-brand for me, but to celebrate that, I'm going to do a not-mystery, but-mystery, but-not-mystery. So today I have a new friend for all of you, but new to you, not to me. My friend is Arana. Introduce yourself, please. Hello. My name is, as Elizabeth said, Rana. Um, I also live in L.A. We're kind of neighbors and have a lot of mutual friends. Woo! Yes. Um, and I do take a lot of pleasure, I guess is the right word to say, um, <laughs> researching uh, true crimes and mysteries and all that kind of stuff. So That's, this is a treat. Yeah, it's the best hobby, right? Yes. I feel like it's the best hobby because you want to know that those people got their comeuppance. And if they haven't, when will they? Mm -hmm. It's very important. Um, But this time I brought Rana to uh, find out how did we get the measly worker safety measures that are commonplace in the United States? I mean, they could be a little bit better. A lot better. (laughs) I mean, yes. And... (laughs) For those who may or may not know, there's an IOTC strike that's about to happen, so this feels kind of timely. It is timely, and for those of you who don't know what IOTC is, it is a uh, union in film? Uh, Yes, it's film and theater productions. So, you know, when you see movies, TV shows, um, all those people who are working to make that stuff look beautiful get those special effects going, but really, the people who are there... Hours before the actors are, they're setting up the rigs, they're setting up the stages, their um, craft services, all of that. They're all basically covered by unions, and they all work a ridiculously horrible amount of hours. And you would be kind of shocked by how many die falling asleep driving home because they're working 17, 19 hours, have a call time at 6 a.m., leave at midnight, got to come back at 6 a.m. the next day. Um, and that's standard. Yeah, it is standard. And Ron and I both work in the film industry. I believe we both have experienced those kind of working conditions. Yeah, what is sleep? Uh, yeah. What, what is sleep? I don't think our sleeping patterns will ever normalize again. There's a point where it just doesn't. No, I tell when people ask, I tell them and I immediately say, please don't do that to yourself. Yeah, it's very difficult to recover. Um, however... I think that if we learn from past mistakes of basically how we came to have the 40-hour work week, quote-unquote, and actually what is best for our bodies, what is best for human condition, it actually will help everyone in the future realize that we are not at an optimal place for working and we're not in an optimal place for living. Uh, the 40-hour work week is a real bad idea, actually. That's too much for the human body. And so there's been a lot of studies on it. And I felt that this week was a timely idea to talk about um, how events of 1911, so 110 years ago. See what we've learned. Yeah, let's see what we've learned in 110 years. Some of this, if you are a worker in retail or what they like to call a, uh, what was it, a um, 
what did we call it here in the pandemic? A um, uh, an essential, worker? an essential worker. Okay. So basically, you got paid shit to put yourself on the line, and now your job's probably been eliminated because they figured out how to make a computer do it or something, and so you've been treated like shit. This might be the story for you. So, Rana, I'm going to tell you about the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. Sounds scary, right? I mean, that's already ominous to begin with. Yeah. So fire in it. Yeah, fire. Oh, yes, fire. Uh, Sorry, Backdraft fans. We're going back in. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Remind me to tell you afterwards about my neighbors setting their house on fire. Oh, my God, I want to know that story. So stay tuned after so we can hear about Rana's neighbors setting their house on fire. I need to know. (laughs) So bonus story at the end of this story. (laughs) Okay, so most of the modern day worker protections that we have today are a direct result of horrific tragedies in the past. So one, one of which that always comes to mind is the fact that McDonald's spun the story of the hot coffee burning the older woman into being such a trivial matter where in fact actually what happened is that the water was so hot that uh, like the coffee the water was so hot when they made the coffee it fused her genitals together and she had to have numerous skin grafts and she sued to get those medical bills paid for that's what you do like that's how the american system is unfortunately set up and they basically use that as the basis of frivolous lawsuits. Um, I believe they're called slap suits with doopies. Um, however, no, that was actually a brilliant suit. And it was something that basically showed that McDonald's as a corporation didn't really take care to make sure that customers, or if you really think about it, workers were actually safe doing their job or get consuming their product. And um, so that's a huge tragedy. And therefore we have safety in place to prevent it. So do you know about that? The, um, I know that it was uh, ex- analyzed by like Adam explains it all, mm-hmm. but also in that lawsuit, she wasn't suing for like an obscene amount of money. She just wanted yeah. help with her medical bills and she was, uh, in the ruling, found to be a little bit at fault because she did, although it was a parked car, she did put it, like, in her legs to take the cap yeah. off. So it wasn't like she was 100% guilt-free, um, but they awarded her a bunch more money. But if you go back and you look um, about that particular store, they consistently overheated it. They they had overheated their coffee, um, burned a lot of people, but not to the level that people sued them. Um, so then they lowered the temperature back down and then a bunch of people complained that it wasn't hot enough. And so I think they did like some sort of risk analysis and was like, yeah, we can have it this much hotter because people want that. And we can, at that temperature, keep churning out the same craft for longer. Um, and never really thinking about if you have that hot pot at that temperature, it doesn't just stay flat at that temperature. It accumulates its heat. Yes. Um, And then she got burned. Yeah. And also, I do strongly uh, feel, and also it has been proven now, like, 
it's considered hazardous at a certain temperature. Yeah, it was like, like 390 degrees or something like that. Yeah, it's, um, I personally was burned at a hundred, uh, it was uh, 200 and, it was over 200 degrees, and I ended up with second degree burns. So, that's hot. Yeah. That is Hades coffee. <laughs> And I'm not saying, you know, here in L.A. that we're not used to hot, but that's too hot. And, um, yeah, I, be- I do believe Adam Ruins Everything covered that. Yeah. I've recommended that show before. I believe it. You should check it out. What episode? I don't fucking know. But. That's what the internet is for. They can find it. They can find it. I believe in you. Um, so back to the Triangle Shirtwaist factory. We're going to get back into our Wayback Machine. Right, Sherman? <laughs> and we're going to go to 9 9-11. 9-11 was a couple weeks ago. Um, and we're going to talk about two men who should be forever burning in hell, Isaac Harris and Max Blank. Now, if you have those names, I'm sorry, it's time to change them. Just kidding. Own it and move on. Um, Isaac Harris and Max Blank, that's B-L-A-N-C-K, which I think is funny. I don't know why. Uh, They're New York City entrepreneurs, and they have multiple factories in the garment industry. We are already starting off at a really bad place. Everything about this screams bad. Um, Because they are some shady-ass motherfuckers. So, in the early 1900s... (laughs) It was apparently commonplace for business owners to just, you know, set their buildings on fire and um, get the insurance payout. And that's what, you know, Harrison Blank did, allegedly, four times. They had the Triangle Factory and it burned twice, uh, once in 1902 and then again in 1911. And then they had a diamond waste company. That factory burned twice in 1907 and 1910, right? How is this not suspicious to policemen already? I, I, I have, I have theories. Allegedly, um, do they involve being paid off? Because that's what it feels like. It feels like it, um, but it's all alleged. I even even 110 years later, I'm scared. Um, I don't know their people. <laughs> that's true. They're probably everywhere. Yeah, they're probably like looking at me right now through a telescope. Like she said something. Right. So Blank and Harris likely deliberately torched their workplaces before business hours. This is a big difference. Before business hours to collect the large fire insurance policies they purchased. Not obviously uncommon in the 20th century. What a ripoff. Um, however, that's not what happened in 1911. <laughs> Okay, so the Triangle Factory was located in the top three floors of the Ash Building. A-S-C-H, Ash Building. Um, I would fuck that up every single time as a child. I would be like, ass. (laughs) I did my best. Um, I like to drop the ends of words when I was a kid. I don't know why, but, like, we had a teacher deadass. Her name was Mrs. Ask. And she was Mrs. Ask to me uh, because I would fuck that up. Just, I'm just thinking about how they have all these extra consonants that they don't necessarily need in these names. Oh, yes. I'm loving it. That's why I'm spelling it for people. <laughs> it's just adding flavor. <laughs> uh, it's also 
the Ash Building on the corner of Green Street and Washington Place in Manhattan. All of you New Yorkers, get out of your house, take your phone with you, and go there right now. If anyone does that, please email me. Uh, it's really late over there. Well, who knows when they're <laughs> listening? Like, you know, that's fair. they could be saving this episode for next Wednesday and, like, you know, that's on a true. little jaunt. That is true. Yeah. There are ghosts in New York, so you can also wait till then. Oh, yes. It's a perfect time. So this place, the definition of a sweat shop. So young immigrant workers, mostly Italian and Jewish, mostly did not speak English, and they were in cramped spaces in lines of sewing machines. Um, Nearly all were teenage girls. All right? Standard. Standard for shitty New York business. Yep. So... The factory produced women's blouses. I love that word. Blouses. Game blouses. <laughs> um, they were called shirtwaists. I wonder if these women ever wore them, like the shirtwaists, because they're like, I make this every fucking day. I'm absolutely not doing this again. No. I bet you they like bought one, set it on fire at home in an effigy, and then was like, no, never again. Would they again. have made enough to be able to buy it? I, you know, I don't think so. But if they did, set it on fire. Right. We could also just take the scraps. You say that. That's a plot twist. Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about Cinderella. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is not Cinderella. We are in backcraft territory. Uh, this is more of like Midsummer with a sad ending. Oh. Okay, yeah, because Midsummer was fun at the end. Oh yeah, that was her living her best life. Um, that's hot takes with Elizabeth and Rana. Uh, <laughs> the factory normally employed about 500 workers, mostly women. Um, they worked apparently between nine and 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and they earned. Between twelve to fifteen dollars a week. So, Sweet Jesus, on average, three hundred and twenty-seven dollars a week in two thousand eighteen monies, which would you know shimmy out to about six point two nine. Makes you really think that we have not come far, no. <laughs> considering the federal minimum wage has been the same. Yeah, everything else is raised, but not the minimum wage. It's seven twenty-five, still. Um, right, and by great I mean horrendous. Yeah. Also, by the way, that that was all averages. So, um, if you're like, no, I know somebody. Okay, good for you. I know an average. Um, and that's five hundred workers in three floors in the shirtwaist factory at the top of a building. Yes. That's so many people in three floors. <laughs> um, it occupied the eighth, ninth, and tenth, and it was the tenth, like the top three. Um, okay, so they also had to supply their own needles, thread, irons, and sometimes even their own sewing machine. That's shitty as hell. Yeah, could you imagine if you were working at, actually, no, if you were working at an app company and you had to bring your own computer? I know some of those. You have to be YOC. Wow, just take all the That's the same thing. It is. I know, um some of the practical effects teams and I only like found this out last week uh sometimes they tried to lowball people and and uh I only found this out because I had a friend say that that happened to her and they were doing it because she's female 
And she said, Natural. well, then, uh, if you're going to pay me less, I'm not bringing my own rig, so you have to supply this, this, and this. And that's how she got it to be basically the same monies. Oh, my um, God. But, yeah, they did that. And they're like, well, we can't pay you this much. And she's like, okay, fine, I'll take that. But you have to supply all this equipment. Because apparently for, for some jobs, they mm-hmm. do come with their own rigs because yeah. uh, it's just better. They it know makes that. Sense, yeah. Yeah. So that's what she did. <laughs> and I was like, you do that. Didn't know that was an option. Great. Proud of her. Yeah. And also, if you think about it, this is mostly women working. Yeah. What? Um, oh, am I, am I supposed to have a surprise face? No. Okay. I'm just, you know, putting this out there for the listeners if they haven't uh, pieced that part together yet. You never know, because sometimes I skip over details. Also, I'm just going to throw the suffragette movement out there. Um, I'm also going to throw out La- International Ladies Garment Workers Union have led a strike in 1909 with a list of demands that included, are you ready? Mm-hmm. A 20% pay increase. How dare they? Shorter and more predictable hours set at a max of 52 hours per week. They were like, we're done with this 12 hours a day shit. Okay. They were rocking like 84 max. They're like, how about 52? Okay, we're done with 84, 52. Because there's a point when your productivity just... Yeah. And um, I know everyone likes to talk shit about the French because we're nationalists like that. They have a 30-hour work week. A couple of years ago, um, some, some of their very capitalist companies tried to lobby the government to have a 35-hour work week. And that whole country shut them the fuck down. Yeah. They all struck. And we in America were giving them shit over that. But I was like, that's an entire country of workers that just stood up for themselves. And they said, we're not going to do those extra five hours. This is what it is. 30 is it. And I forgot what the study was. Uh, but they gauge productivity of America versus France, and it's basically the same, and they work so much less than we do, like, in terms yeah. of actual hours. And it's because their time is they, – they treat that time as quality. They're happier, they're more productive in those hours, and the expectations are different. Like, you know, because a, a number of companies, of corporations, all the corporations here, mm-hmm. everyone thinks – more more time at work it means more productivity and it doesn't and it doesn't quality goes down fatigue goes up um but america does not treat their employees like people they treat them as commodities mm-hmm. always replaceable oh and, yeah and that's what's happened and it's only gotten worse and worse and worse yep. um they had a huge list of uh safer working conditions a lot of which included fire safety um, well, that's a, definitely highly ironic, right? Yeah, our planet's also getting hotter, so that's. And this know. was 1911. I mean, let's talk about the Industrial Revolution. It's not like they saw people burning their own buildings down. I still can't get over that they just let that happen. <laughs> I'm just not surprised, you know. I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's still it's extremely could disappointing. You, could you imagine that happening in LA though? Like. Yeah, let's set things on fire. No, they would be like, it wouldn't matter. They'd be so mad about it yeah. and on it. I yeah. mean, right now we're having a problem with um, the vape shops. I oh, mean, yeah. It's kind of going down because it's not summer anymore. But as our planet's heating up and everything's just swinging wildly for temperatures, 
um, a number of shops, particularly in the downtown LA area, uh, at le- I know of at least two that were vape shops, were not properly storing, um, I'm not sure what those canisters are, but... But go with canisters. Yes. Uh, highly flammable, improperly stored, and so at least two separate occasions, they've exploded. Um, they probably didn't, they left the AC off. Um, to it's save enough, money. It's, it's enough heat. Um, one was, I was maybe like three blocks from it, but I missed, I missed that explosion happening by about half an hour because friends knew that I was going to Little Tokyo. Oh my, uh, wait, I think after, I... Yeah. And I started getting all these texts like, are you okay? And I was like, am I okay about what? And I looked it up and like three blocks away from where I had been is is one of the shops blew up. I think I was near there because I was shooting something and we were like, what are with these planes? And it was that fire. Yeah, it was that fire. Oh, my God. I got to text somebody and be like, I figured out that fire. Oh, yeah, that was one of them. And then another one was a couple of months ago, a uh, historic building. Uh, second floor was a bunch of artisans um, like. Uh, what I know it because one of my friends is a costume designer, mm-hmm. and she had that a space. Yeah, there. yeah. And um, there was a vape shop at the bottom that blew. Yeah, that's yeah. I remember hearing about that one from yeah. uh, a friend of ours. Yeah, the arts district one. Um, so that was a bunch of artists who on the second floor who all lost their livelihoods. Well, maybe. <laughs> insurance will cover it they're fighting with it right now oh god um yeah they everyone had their own insurances at the top but because it was another business on the first floor that blew it's like well they should be the one they should be liable so it's yeah but it it exploded so bad and melted so much stuff they still haven't it was deemed unsafe to go in so oh my god like our the that mutual friend um they haven't been go- been able to go in and see what, if anything, which is probably nothing, is recoverable. That's just, so that's... nothing is really moving on insurance yet because yeah. they can't. Everyone Assess. everyone has to be like, here's the items of the things that I've lost, but they don't know everything that they've lost yet. Yeah. So it's going to take them a long time. Oh, my God. Yeah. I remember when that was happening, too. Yeah. That's, I didn't know it was vape shops. Yeah, underneath. The, I, I only know of two. I but think there's more. That, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, too. Um, I never thought of it being so dangerous. But, yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, tobacco doesn't explode on its own. Yeah. But it's, canisters it's all do. The, yeah, it's the, yeah. the refill cartridge thing. Cartridge! That's it! Yeah. So it's the canisters that refill those cartridges and stuff, I think. I think um, it's clear that neither of us vape. <laughs> it's so clear. It's like it's something real flammable. You know, we're not here to ruin people's haircuts. We're just, yeah. you know, two goons over here reading about murder. And apparently fires. Well, two things can do things real Same well. Things. Yes. Yes. Uh fire can is be related. No joke. Um Oh, so speaking of so the garment industry. Mm-hmm very flammable we know that mm-hmm. much like the vape industry but not nearly as the vape industry not as explosive <laughs> um, definitely flammable one's not more as of a tinder box and one's more of a bomb Dynamite. i'm not in an airport right <laughs> like, no. i felt weird saying that and all of a sudden i was like who's who's listening um 
So blank. Uh, so most garment factories actually settled with the union, and Blank and Harris was like, "Fuck you guys," and oh. um, they hired police and paid thugs to imprison striking women and beat up journalists who were writing about the strike. This sounds familiar. Oh my god, it's so American. Yes, that is the American way. I just love how shit. We've clearly learned nothing in a hundred years. We we know well. We learned that that works. Um, (laughs) Yes, they went so far as to pay off politicians to look the other way. Still, definitely works. Wow. And they had even moved operations out of New York City to try and avoid the strike altogether. The strike did end in February of 1910, and then workers went back to work um, at the shitty jobs without a union agreement, according to the FLC, uh, AFL-CIO history. What is F- AFL-CIO history, considering that I flubbed it up so many times? No clue. I meant to look it up, and I didn't. I went to work instead. Big move on my part. <laughs> um, all right, so we've really put this uh, this fire into a, um, a big spin, right? I really... Oh, oh did I just, you look it up? Of course I did. The American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations. That was a lot less interesting than I thought it'd be. We are the Democratic Voluntary Federation of 57 national and international labor unions that, oh, represents 12.5 million working men and women. So, this factory. Let's, let me tell you what Harrison Blank didn't do. I'm going to describe the factory for you, these, and tell me if you think you could work here. So, there's four elevators with access to the factory floors, okay? Okay. Only one! was fully operational, okay? To get there, you have to file down a long and narrow corridor to get there. What's the first thing you know you can't do in a fire? Use the elevator. Correct. Okay, next. I mean, I guess they're not going to have that problem because only one out of four works. Four work, yeah. Um, they probably found out that day. Oh, God. But we don't know yet. We don't know in the story, the narrative. I haven't described the narrative to you. <laughs> So, there are two narrow stairways down to the street. One is locked from the outside to prevent, quote, stealing. And the other only opened inward. Oh, that's great with a crowd of 500. Mm Mm-hmm. So, there was that little trust of the underpaid employees. What are they going to do? Steal a scrap? Yep. I would (laughs) have. Right? Like. Oh, I'm sorry. But also I know scraps. That, yeah, like, I'm like, sorry my two boobs don't match, but this is my new shirt. <laughs> like, what? Um, so the place, Tinderbox, like I said, right? Mm-hmm. They had special, uh, like, blah, 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 des- <laughs> I don't know what that meant. I can't read. They had bins that were designated, and it held hundreds of pounds of scrap cotton and tissue paper at a time what a bonfire oh yeah and then let's top this off harris and blank they elected to not have sprinklers put in against regulation by the city and then they had old water hoses which this is 1911 
How oh old God. were they? Were they medieval water hoses? Like, yeah, I don't feel like hoses were made that. Okay. Maybe okay. we're wrong, but like it just, I don't know. I don't know what time is. Um, it's That's fair. 2021, but I just feel like 1911 shouldn't have hoses that old, considering I'm certain that my parents have one that from 1983, and it's still fine. <laughs> um, also, <laughs> did you look up? <laughs> I did. 1673. Oh, I was right about medieval hoses. So they had a medieval water hose. This is, that's a first fire hose. That's the first fire hose. That's basically the triangle shirtwaist factory had the first goddamn water hose ever (laughs) fucking made i swear (sighs) okay and then they quote had water buckets that were in place to extinguish fires but you know what happens to water buckets people knock them over sometimes they pee in them i don't know they're buckets yeah. That's a finite water source. Apparently, it was common practice in the garment industry at the time. Um, I mean, probably I'm tell you like that part localized fire kind of thing. Like, here is this bin that's on fire. Oh, Just look. dump it in there. And you dump the water, and then it's enough, not enough. And then what? You put your butt over it and try to pee and hope for the best? I don't think so. Yeah. This already, this already has many things stacked against it. Yeah, it does. So we're going to start at 4.40 p.m. on Saturday, March 25th, 1911. Oh, I know that time. That workday is ending. And guess what? I'm jealous of that workday. Um, no, you are not. That's fair. Because a fire flares up under a scrap bin under one of the cutter's tables in the northeast corner of the eighth floor. Do we know how that's... Allegedly, someone tossed a cigarette that wasn't fully put out into the scrap bin that boys and girls always put out those cigarette butts wait boys and girls shouldn't be smoking that's what i was like smoking Uh is bad but if you see a cigarette butt go punch somebody i'm kidding don't do it i mean just stomp on it just make sure that it's out i still see drivers like throwing lit cigarettes out and i was like whoa that's hit my car before and just sparked on it does it ever like boggle your mind I, i mean we do live in la it's not very common to see people smoking anymore I remember when Walmart still had ashtrays at the end of the aisles. Wow, that's gross. Yeah. I don't, but Walmart didn't come into California for a while. Yeah, I I was here when Burbank Walmart came in. (laughs) That was a battle that Burbank eventually lost. Oh, I remember. (laughs) I remember the townies being very angry. To be fair, the traffic now over there is real bad. It's always been real bad. It has been, but I have noticed. I just now go around the other side. Yeah, it's not like it. like, what are they doing? It's... Who is in this much of a rush to get to Walmart? Like, you don't need to I do just... crazy maneuvers. Yeah. But well, <laughs> in Little Rock, there's five Walmarts, I swear to God, for a town of 250,000 people. That's a lot. And it, they're always busy. So. Okay. Yeah, build another Walmart, and then you'll have less traffic. I mean, no, like, I'm with Walmart you. is... I don't want to talk Super, about Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. I came from the land of Walmart. I am going to write a version of the land down under. <laughs> uh, when I come out with an album of myself, it's going to have that song. <laughs> I come from the land of Walmart. Yes. 
oh god you could really make some funny <laughs> lyrics on that <laughs> i know that's what i was wait where were we in this uh fiery oh yeah fire so back to under the bin from yeah. like a cigarette which they were smoking while working yeah so allegedly it's on this page um, it was, the fire was likely ignited by a discarded cigarette shortly before the factory's 4 p.m. closing time, and I can't remember where I read it, so take this for what it's worth, is I think it was some supervisor who... Sounds about right. Yeah. Some, some white dude walking around. Um, so, according to history, the first fire alarm was sent... At 4.45 by a passerby on Washington Place who saw smoke coming out of the 8th floor, right? So both owners of the factory, both Isaac Harris and something blank. That's all I remembered. Yep. All we care about is blank. Because his name, blank. Uh, Both owners of the factory were there and had invited their children to the factory on that afternoon. I can't decide if that is suspicious or not. Uh, I don't think it is, because would you want your kids to die in a fire? I mean, do they get insurance money? Well, they're there, too. So, oh, that's true. all I'm saying is, is they're in that factory with their kids. But that's also a very good point. Because I would, you know, they had a pretty high life insurance policy, and this was forensic files. I would be questioning. Okay. I mean, they were already... Risking the lives of so many people. <laughs> By risking, you mean uh, did? Yes. So the fire marshal, of course, um, did conclude that it was the disposal of the cigarettes. The bin had two months worth of accumulated cuttings um, by the time of the fire. So that's two months of scraps. That's a lot. Yeah. Working nonstop, seven 24-7? I almost said 7-24, and I was like, that's wrong. I mean, it still sort of works it, in some way. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say in a correct way, just in some way. I mean, yeah. So, beneath the table in the wooden bin of the 100 pounds of scraps of leftover from several thousand shirt waists that had been cut at that fucking table... Um. The scraps had been uh, piled and then coupled with hanging fabrics that were surrounding it. And then there was like a steel trim that um, was like basically the only thing that wasn't highly flammable. But it did kind of, uh, you know, make a like, you know, the there's the wooden bucket and the hanger downs. And the hanger downs with the steel trim basically made it a way for it to go up the table and whoosh, you know, kind of mm. like a unfortunate comedy. Um, so smoking had been banned in the factory. Cutters were known to, oh my gosh, I hate to say cutters, but cutters were known to sneak cigarettes, exhaling the smoke through their lapels. That's like a lot of effort for kind of a shitty habit. Yeah, but this is 1911. No one thought it was a shitty habit then. It was, like, healthy. I'm pretty sure it smelled gross then, just like it does now. Yeah, but, I mean, everything smelled gross then. That's true. And also, don't you need nicotine to get through a 12-hour workday? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I've heard. Well, it is, it's a stimulant, right? I believe so. So, yeah. Yeah. 
most people I know I knew back in the day, she says, as a as a baby. <laughs> um <laughs> smoked to get through long days, so yeah. Um, so there was a New York Times article that came out and it suggested that the fire may have started by the engines of the sewing machines, which is also possible because of the 724 situation. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm owning it. So. They do run hot. Yeah, of course. make sure they're oiled. Yeah, and that's an easy thing to fuck up. Um, there was a series of articles as well that noted a pattern of arson among a certain sector of garment industry of the garment industry whenever their particular product fell out of fashion or had an excess of inventory in order to collect insurance. And so um, the insurance monitor, which was basically an industry journal, observed that shirtwaist had recently fallen out of fashion and the insurance uh, and that insurance for manufacturers of them was fairly saturated with, quote, moral hazard. And so, although Blank and Harris were known for having had four previous suspicious fires at their companies, arson was actually not suspected in this case. A, they were present on the 10th floor. B, their kids were there on the 10th floor. And this started on the 8th, right? (laughs) C, how it all shakes out. Yikes. Okay. So... There's a bookkeeper on the 8th floor, and she was able to warn employees on the 10th floor via telephone, right? But there's no audible alarm and no way to contact staff on the 9th floor. So, according... What kind of janky communication system is that? If that's your first problem, we haven't even gotten started with the fun. Um, So, according to Survivor, Yetta Lubitz... The first warning of the fire on the ninth floor arrived at the same time as the fire itself. So, the floor had a number of exits, including the two freight elevators, um, a fire escape. So, there were, like, you know, people elevators and then freight elevators. Mm-hmm. A fire escape and stairway uh, down to the Green Street in Washington Place. And the flames prevented workers from descending to Green Street. And the door to Washington Place stairway was locked to prevent theft by workers, which is stupid. You should never lock a door while it's in session. That's a law now, right? Oh, yeah. Where do you think it came from? (laughs) Clearly from here. Yes. Um, The locked doors apparently allowed managers to check women's pocketbooks. Because, you know, a pocketbook is going to keep garments in it. What, they think it's a TARDIS? <laughs> yeah, they're going to check booty cracks for things. I'm just saying, you know, that's where, that's our magic toy land back there. Yes. Uh, secret. Secret storage. <laughs> we keep our eyeliner and our, like, titties. Whatever. So various historians have also ascribed the exit doors being locked to managements waiting to keep out union organizers due to management's anti-union bias. This sounds familiar. Literally. So the foreman, who basically held the stairway door key, had already escaped by another route. Oh my god. 
So there are dozens of employees trying to escape the fire. And they um, escape by going up the Green Street stairway to the roof. So instead of going down, they went up to the 10th floor and then up again to the roof. Other survivors were able to jam themselves into the elevators while they continued to operate. Because there's a point, like, they still were going. Um, But it was just the one, right? They had the, yeah. Oh, that but one. also the freight rate. No, the, the freight rider did not work. <laughs> freight. I like that word now, though. Freight rider. <laughs> That's a good one. Freight It yeah. sounds like Fred Redder, which was <laughs> that one company that did, like, what, Fairly Odd Parents? Oh, Fred Rader. Oh, yeah, that animation company. Yeah. Um, or Jimmy Neutron. I forget, but I, I remember that they often kick off shorts for Nickelodeon. Yeah. They did a lot of Nick stuff. Um, they might still. I think they do both because like, those shows were always together. Um, so allow me to tell you who those people were because their names are important. Uh, do we know why some went up and not down? Yes. Um, so feels like a scream sort of situation like when you should be fleeing the building you go upstairs instead yes um, i do um so the elevator operators mm-hmm. i want to get to these guys okay um so the elevator because this is back in the time when you needed them uh elevator operators joseph zito and gaspar montero Mortiro, mortiaro sorry i can't read mortiaro they saved many lives by traveling uh three and four times to the ninth floor for passengers. Uh, Mortiara was eventually forced to give up when the rails of his elevator buckled under the heat. Um, Some victims pried the elevator doors open and unfortunately jumped into the empty shaft. Yikes. Um, Some tried to slide down the cables or to land on top of the car. The weight and the impacts of these bodies warped the elevator car and then it made it impossible for Zito to make another attempt. Uh, William Gunn Shepard, a reporter at the tragedy, would say that I learned a new sound that day, a sound more horrible than description can picture, the thud of a speeding living body on a stone sidewalk. Um, so the, Joseph Zito and Gaspar Mor- Mortiaro, um basically went up and down the cables knowing that they could break any moment and basically risk their lives to go and bring people up and down from the ninth floor. Are they immigrants? Um, yes, they were both Italian. Yeah. Both immigrants who went and knew that there were women up there who needed yeah. someone to come get them. And then when the other car came to a stop, they all knew. Um yeah, that's about to get real sad, but we're going to be okay. We're going to make it through. So within three minutes, the Green Street uh, stairway became unusable in both directions. Oh. Um, the employ- t- scared employees crowded into the single uh, exterior fire escape. So basically there's one fire escape and city officials had allowed Ash Building to have one fire escape instead of the required third staircase. It was very flimsy, poorly anchored, and um, it had already been broken before the fire. 
So with everyone on it, it soon twisted and collapsed from the heat overload, and it spilled about 20 uh, people, nearly 100 feet, who all um, did fall to their death uh, down below. The remainder waited until smoke and fire came for them. So the fire department did quickly arrive, and they're unable to stop the flames. Their ladders were only long enough to reach as high as the seventh floor. Oh, lame. Yes. Um, fallen bodies and falling victims also made it difficult for the fire department to approach the building. So, a large crowd of bystanders gathered on the street witnessing 62 people jumping or falling to their deaths from the burning building. Um, Lewis Waldman, later a New York Socialist State um, assemblyman, described the scene later. So this is exactly what he wrote. One Saturday afternoon in March of that year, March 25th to be precise, I was sitting at one of the reading tables in the old Astor Library. It was a raw, unpleasant day, and the comfortable reading room seemed a delightful place to spend the remaining few hours until the library closed. I was deeply engrossed in my book when I became aware of fire engines racing past the building. By this time, I was sufficiently Americanized to be fascinated by the sound of fire engines. Along with the several others in the library, I ran out to see what was happening and followed crowds of people to the scene of the fire. A few blocks away, the Ash Building at the corner of Washington and Green was ablaze. When we arrived at the scene, the police had thrown up a cordon around the area and the firemen were helplessly fighting the blaze. The 8th, 9th, and 10th stories of the building were now an enormous roaring comus of flames. Word had spread through the east side by some magic terror that the, t- the plant of the Triangle Waste Company was on fire and several hundred workers were trapped. Horrified and helpless, the crowds, I among them, looked up at the burning building, saw girl after girl appear at the reddened windows, pause for a terrified moment, then leap to the pavement below to land as mangled and bloodied pulp. This went on for what seemed a ghastly eternity. Occasionally, a girl who had hesitated too long was licked by pursuing flames and, screaming with clothing and hair ablaze, plunged like a living torch to the street. Life nets held by firemen were torn apart by the impact of falling bodies. The emotions of the crowd were indescribable. Women were hysterical, scores fainted, men wept as in paroxysms of frenzy. They hurled themselves against the police lines. So, at the top, um, they didn't know how they were going to get down because there was the fire mm-hmm. well someone saw them next door like in the building next door mm-hmm. they put a ladder across that'll last for a little while well it's not burning up there yet yeah and basically we're able to get everyone who went up across but they had to like hold the sides and yeah, crawl across crawl across and so both of the owners and their children did make it out alive of course, because they were first at the top yeah, and everyone from the 10th floor, or most everyone, I believe, from the 10th floor did make it. That went up. Because um, it wasn't just them. 
That has to be terrifying to go across two tall buildings. You know, like frightening tightrope walkers. Yeah, um, two small children did it. I wonder what the, at least two small children, I wonder what they thought of their, like, fathers after that, you know? Right. I, like, how young were they? Did they know what was happening? I'm not sure. Or, you know what I yeah. mean? Or they're like, this is a great adventure. Because, you know, children are little daredevils until they start learning. Like, that's real yeah. dangerous. I don't know, though. I think about it, like, even as a child, and apparently I have no sense of danger, but <laughs> um, at 10 stories up, and that's the, and, like, you can see fire, and yeah. you see people dying. You I mean, know what if what's they, at stake. Like, I'm wondering if at that age yet where they understand that they see that people are jumping and dying. Because at some point until someone tells you, you could just be like, like, how do you know until someone tells you? I don't know. Because I've nannied for young children who I feel like are capable of understanding. So I think about like five, six, seven, you're going to know. And for them to be at the age to go visit a factory, you know, mm-hmm. I think they're old enough to know what's going on and, like, be super traumatized by this. Probably. So either they're going to get on boat with what uh, dad's got planned or mm-hmm. they're going to peace out as soon as possible. Right. Did it turn them into activists? No. <laughs> <laughs> they were the reason things happened. <laughs> um, so let's talk about... The aftermath, because, you know, I didn't tell you horrible enough stuff. Um, So early references of the death toll range from about 141 to 148. Almost all um, agree that it was 146 that died um, in result of the fire. 123 women and girls and 23 men. How are that many men? Uh, I'm not sure, because I know that it wasn't just women that worked there. Um, but also, um, could be people who were on the scene, mm. trying to fight the fire. Yeah. Because I, I figure most supervisors are male. Yeah. But um, I'm not sure, though. So most victims died of burns, asphyxiation, blunt impact injuries, or a combination of all three. The first person to jump was a man. Um, and then another man was seen kissing a young woman at the window before they both jumped. Mm. So bodies of the victims were taken to uh, Charity's Pier, which is also called Misery Lane. And it was at 26th Street for identification by friends and relatives. Victims were interred in 16 different cemeteries. Mm. 22 victims of the fire were buried by the Hebrew Free Burial Association in special section at Mount Richmond's uh, cemetery. In some instances, their tombstones refer to the fire. Six victims remained unidentified until Michael Hirsch, a historian, completed four years of researching newspaper articles and other sources for missing persons and was able to identify each of them by name. Wow. Yeah. um, Michael Hirsch is a hero. Um, those six victims were buried together in the Cemetery of the Evergreens in Brooklyn. So originally interred elsewhere on the grounds, their remains now lie beneath a monument to the tragedy, a large marble slab featuring a kneeling woman. So, that is basically the overview, but 
um, as it was described, the horrible thing that I um, was reading from victims' statements that survived, they were saying that basically these people were laid out and families had to, like, if they weren't reunited, they had to come and look. Oh, ID bodies. And try to identify who these people are and... It was so traumatic for those families, and um, not everyone was able to grab their stuff, and some of them weren't, uh, like, they were able to identify, like, those shoes, I know those shoes, like, that kind of thing, and um, it's, uh, yeah, so this is where we're about to go from... uh, angry and rage to the pits of hell infuriated let's get started so blank and harris they survived because of the fleeing of the roof so they're indicted with charges of first and second degree manslaughter their trial um began december 4th of 1911 uh max stewer new stewer i don't know he was their counsel, managed to destroy the credibility of one of their survivors, Kate Alterman, when he at, by asking her to repeat her testimony a number of times, which she did without altering key phrases. Uh, Stewart argued to the jury that Alterman and possibly other witnesses had memorized their statements and might even have been told what to say by prosecution. Wow. Yeah, and prosecution uh, charged that the owners knew... The exit doors were locked at the time in question. An investigation found that the locks were intended to be locked during uh, working hours based on finding on the findings from the fire. But the defense stressed that the prosecution failed to prove that the owners knew that. Please. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the jury acquitted the two men of first and second degree manslaughter, but they were found liable of wrongful death in civil um in civil court in 1913 so basically they got oj'd and um they were uh the plaintiffs were awarded compensation the amount of 75 dollars per deceased victim the insurance company however paid blank and harris about sixty thousand dollars more than the report more than the reported losses or about four hundred dollars per casualty so they made money off of killing people that's beyond infuriating like hr is not your friend no They made money. So in 1913, Blank was once again arrested for locking the door to his factory during work hours. Jesus Christ. He got fined 20 whole dollars. Oh no, not $20. So $20. Um, so. The last living survivor of the fire was Rose Friedman, her maiden name, Rosenfeld. She died in Beverly Hills, California in 2001. Wow. At the age of 107. She was two days away from her 18th birthday at the time of the fire, and she survived by following um, 
the bitch asses up to the roof and being rescued from the roof. Um, as a result of her experience, she became a lifelong supporter of unions. And then in 2019, Elizabeth Warren, or a U.S. Senator, delivered a speech in Washington Square Park supporting her uh, presidential campaign a few blocks away from the Triangle's shirtwaist factory, and she recounted the story of the fire and its legacy before a crowd of supporters likening activism for workers' rights following the 1911 fire to her own presidential platform. And I did remember this, and I have been sitting on the story ever since. Um, so there was a written testimony transcript by Captain Howard Roosh of the New York Fire Department, who spoke of his initial survey of the charred ninth floor. Um, he said, I stepped on something that was soft, at which point I realized that I had reached a pile of bodies. His transcript provided a, basically, Rosetta Stone for understanding what really happened inside of the factory after, you know, things had been so misconstrued. Um, so a week after the fire, New Yorkers had packed an emergency meeting at the Metropolitan Opera House. 350,000 people joined in a massive funeral procession for the fire's victims. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Public outrage, right? We got, I said that things happen, things happen. Not just a speech by Elizabeth Warren... The New York legislators enacted a law creating the Factory Investigating Commission, and it's a watchdog agency with sweeping powers to probe labor conditions throughout the state. Over the next two years, it would investigate thousands of workplaces, not just garment factories, but meatpacking and chemical plants as well. Very important. You don't want to eat shit. Um... Also, how many times have you watched historical movies and just seen meatpacking places and they look like, I don't want to eat that? Yeah. I often think, like, please sanitize. Like, Wash your hands. Yes. Change that apron. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like do, you, do you not notice all the blood there? You should leave that there. Whose blood is that? Like, let's not do... Mm-mm. So there were over 20 laws passed, which changed fire safety, building safety, and changed the state like basically made them responsible for worker safety including outward swinging exit doors for um for businesses sprinklers on high-rise buildings um and then all of these other things but all of these became actually nationwide um so have you noticed that in most buildings they you have to pull to enter and push to exit, and usually your push is a bar. Yes. That bar is a panic bar. So um, if they had even gotten downstairs to the push um, or to the inward pulling door, Mm -hmm. there's another case that I thought about covering in this one, but I didn't want to because it was too much sad. Um, but they would have piled against it with everyone pushing from so far back, they wouldn't have been able to open it. So they would have died anyway. And so every time that there's a business, it should be an outward facing door with a panic bar. So if you're pushing against it, it automatically opens and you can exit. Um, And with uh, residential, there should be an inward facing door because... Um, emergency and rescue should be able to kick in the door 
because there's not going to be people behind it. Like, that's not how that works. And if there is, and they call 911, then they know you're right behind the door, and they know that to tell you to move because they're going to kick in the door. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So when you see buildings that have inward-facing doors, question them. They had a bad carpenter. Every carp knows this. Like, every contractor knows this. Uh, My brother, who works for a hospital, was discussing with me, like, about a project. And he was like, yeah, they accidentally put the doors the wrong way. And I thought it was kind of funny because I was like, I know why. (laughs) And um, because inside of hospitals, doors have to go a certain way, even if they're swinging, because they have a primary swing. um, Because you you don't see them in the center of a door jam you see them on one side or the other and so it's a it's a thing you know um it's like a safety thing like a patient room store has to be on a certain side that kind of thing so it's really intriguing and if you look it up there's a reason here we are um so in addition to uh all of the the dub that was a sound. So the fire did help uh, unite organized labor and various reform-minded politicians, including progressive New York Governor Alfred E. Smith, Senator Robert F. Wagner. Um, is that the same Robert Wagner that allegedly killed Natalie Wood? No. Okay, that's what I thought. Good to know, though. Never... No. Uh, and then legislative architects of Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal agenda. And then Francis Perkins, who served on a committee that helped set up the FIC, would later become Roosevelt's Secretary of Labor, and in a clear way, one can argue that the fire led to the New Deal. So Perkins said so herself in her oral history. So my information did come from history.com. Um... Smithsonian Magazine, and of course, you know, all the great places, things I've randomly heard, and Britannica, and like random encyclopedia things that I've seen. Um, But you should read up on why are things the way that they are when it comes to safety, so you don't disregard it. You actually, if it is there for a reason, and it's a good reason, abide by it. And if it's not there for a good reason, don't. Yeah. And for a number of businesses, at least in California, there is, I don't, like, I don't know if it's a national law or state law or mm-hmm. even just uh, L.A. County, but depending on your square footage, you have to have not just the fire alarms and sprinklers, um, also a... Uh, Extinguisher? Yes. Oh, It's I, like every 70 feet you have to have one. I, I think it may be a state law just because... I'm not familiar with that one, and I've grown up not in California, mm. but that's, I didn't know that about it's, California. It's supposed to be. I only know that because I'm not telling you where I work, but I work at a place, um, and it's not that big, but uh, the local fire department comes out and checks yeah. every year and is like, okay, here are your, it's, you don't have to have an extinguisher per room because we have like one major hallway, mm-hmm. um, and our ours isn't like long enough so we just have the one yeah. but it's like straight access from either hallway to grab um yeah the extinguisher but we do have sprinklers we do have a panic bar yeah um 
And it's smarter yeah. and safer. Like, it's just, it's better to be on the safer side than it is to be on the aesthetic side. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about it. Oh, I love you, bitch. Sorry, Amy is giving us the business, and she's probably like, okay, so you said something about a story regarding your neighbor's house (laughs) catching on fire. So, um, I had been out of L.A. for a couple of years um, doing some nonprofit work, uh, nonprofit healthcare work, and was like, nope, don't like it, gonna go back into entertainment, because that's a lot better. Um, (laughs) A choice. Listen, nonprofit healthcare. I would have. Yeah, I, I would have died early because yeah, like yeah. it was infuriating. Um, I don't know how my brother does it. I I tell him every day that he's. Yeah, Jesus. I did. I did it for a year, and then they asked if they. Um, I was doing a diabetes education program, um, no. and yeah, it was so infuriating. And when my when my time was up, um, they were like, oh. Are you going to keep doing it? We'd love to have you. And I was like, no, I can't do this. I can't keep doing this. Because I will, I'll probably, like, I would just make life real uncomfortable for a lot of the government people because. Yeah. You got to let it out because (laughs) it is relevant to what we just talked about. So I was very much like, I can't still be up here. I'm going to, I'm good at working in entertainment and organizational stuff. Um. I want to come back here. And so I was able to find a job and a place to live fairly quickly. Um, lucky. <laughs> very lucky. Like, it was ridiculously lucky, and I know it. And um, I I rent in a house um, with roommates. And uh, this was six years ago. And I was I was at a friend's birthday party and met this guy that I thought we were friends and he was like, we should hang out. And I was like, cool, that's fine. So we went to go, one of the times to hang out was to go see uh, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. And like halfway through this incursion, I realized, oh shit, this dude thinks it's a date. Yikes. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's how the rest of that went. So, okay. Um, so later, uh, I obviously got Mad Max Fury Road on Blu-ray. <laughs> And uh, the roommates were out. One was uh, doing a comedy show thing, and the other was picking up a friend, a mutual friend of ours, uh, from the airport, like LAX. So that's a drive from where we are. Oh, Um, that's a hike. Yeah. So I was like, sweet, no one's home. I'm just going to chill with my – I have an Italian Greyhound. I have more dogs now. But back then, I just had the one Italian Greyhound, and one of my roommates had a little – I don't know what he is – a little mixed dog. He's adorable. But so I was straight up like, great, I am going to watch Mad Max Fury Road on Blu-ray because now it's not weird. And I'm just, (laughs) I'm going to hang out with the dogs and watch this. And I got my PJs and my PJs that day were, was a tank top and shorts. Of course. um, Because that's, that's how I roll. And I mean, what am I wearing right now? (laughs) Yes. But today I'm in a hoodie and shorts because I like my hoodie. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Uh, I don't know if you guys seen Fury Road. Should watch it. It's great. Uh, there is a sandstorm scene that they're driving into, and so I'm watching this, and I have it on loud because no one else is home. I do what I want, 
Uh, and I pulled my blinds to, you know, make it as dark as possible. Yes, it's night, but you know, that, uh, that ambiance. And also, LA, it's never dark. It's fair. Uh, there are, like, sodium lights and everything. Um, <laughs> so it's that sandstorm scene, which has a particular sound. And I start hearing the sort of crackling sound. It almost sounds like a really hard rain hitting brick, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. That, that hard pattering. And, I mean, I know I had only seen it in the theater the one time, but I was like, I don't remember this sound being in the movie. It's a distinct sound. And so I'm like, what the fuck is that? I go to my window. I open up my blinds, which they were real good blinds. There is just a wall of orange to the left. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) And I was like, oh, holy fucking shit. So obviously I jump um, and I'd close the door to my bedroom and everything. And so I go and normally I mentioned earlier, I am Asian, Asian American. I have house slippers. So I almost started to put those on and I was like, no, you're an idiot. I put on sneakers Um, and I and I'm sort of casing the house and I'm like nothing uh nothing with us is on fire and I throw open the front door and there's like this young dude sort of just starting to tap on the doorbell and I just stare at him and he's like oh I wanted to tell you your neighbor's house is on fire and I was like yeah I got that I got that you should flee the area 911 please um and so our house has a side gate um, and a brick patio. So, but there's literally four or five feet between the side of our house um, and the fence between mine and my my neighbor's um, yeah, I mean, property. Like, it's fairly close. Yeah. Um, fence is tall, but it is close. And there is a garage in the back of our house. Um, and the neighbor's house is the same, like that That lot is the same, um, what do you call that? So, like, Yeah, same yeah. length. So they have a main house, a back house, and a garage that they converted into um, another, Jeez. yeah. How many, like, is this? There a... were like 12 people living there. It was like the max number of people. Um, but how it, many it houses sketch. do they have on that lot? It really is only two, because they converted the garage um, but there was a little, like, sort of like a shed kind of house. It didn't really count as like a, a house. Guest house. It didn't. It was real small. It didn't really count as a full house. But they like. But six made people it lived fa- in it. Um, main house had like six. Garage house. I think that's. I think they made that like a house. Um, so that could have a bunch. And then one or two lived in sort of the middle connecting thing. It was very weird, and I did not fully understand it. And that owner is not the owner anymore. He died. So it's different people who don't set their house on fire. Did he die in the fire? No, because he didn't live there. He just, like, rented to young people. And we joked, but not not 100% joking. We're like, is this a meth house next to us? Because, like, the kids, when we saw the photos later, there was, like, some tagging shit that we were like, this is not. Is there tinfoil? No. No. Usually that's um, a really good indicator. Oh, I don't know, actually. I wasn't looking for that. I was more maybe weirded was out by the, the walls. No, um, maybe it was in the middle house. Oh, maybe. Because that, that for sure burned up. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. So I um, opened up the side gate as wide as I could because I knew the fire department was coming because this blaze is real fucking bright. And I'm like, there's no way yeah. someone did not call. Um, we have a side hose. So I immediately get that, put on the water as hard as I can when I discover that there's a leak in that hose. So I also hosed myself. (laughs) 
whatever, it was fine. I was like, I guess I won't catch fire right away. Um, and I start hosing down the fence, hosing down the house, and as much of the garage as I can rink, uh, as I can reach, because also that leaking hose then tangled. And I was like, <laughs> everything about this is terrible. And I have my cell phone in my hand because I don't know, I just did. Because um, you're, you know, of the age. Yeah. Uh, well, because I, I think I, I had started to call 911 and then just realized it was so big. I'm like, no, someone's already done it. Yeah. Um, but if I don't hear something in a minute, then I will call. Um, and so I'm just hosing down as much as I can to just slow that spread. And at this point, nothing, like the fence is not on fire yet. And none of our buildings are. So I'm like, let me just do what I can to keep it that way. And then I get a text. And I look at it. And it's it's my housemate who went to go pick up the friend at the airport. <laughs> and she's like, we're on our way back. And I text back like, you're going to have a problem uh, getting in. And something like that. I texted yeah. something like that. And then she texts back, why? And I text, the neighbor's house is on fire. And then she keeps texting and I'm not looking at it. And I'm finally like, I can't text. Like, I'm busy. I'm busy. So then she has the friend that she picked up at the airport fucking call me. Because that's easier. Yeah. So in the one hand, I am now talking to my friend. In the other, I'm still hosing down everything that I possibly can. And that fire is just getting hotter. And he's like what do you mean that the neighbor's house is on fire? And I was like, what do you mean? What do I mean? Like the house is burning and I am trying to keep our house from burning. I feel like it's a, <laughs> it's like... a pretty standard situation. The neighbor's house is on fuego. Yeah. I, I did. I was just like, I don't know another way to say it. It's not a euphemism. It's on <laughs> fire. That's our signal for when the Chinese food gets here. Yeah. Like, that's it. Takeout um, has arrived. It is yeah. now take in. And the neighbors had these three very tall trees, very dry trees. And I think I just hung up on my friend because I was like, I, I'll i see you when you get here. It's the place that's on <laughs> fire. And I think I just hung up because I was like, I can't, I can't deal with you. Flames. Right. I was like, I can't deal with you. This is not helpful. Um, so I might have just hung up on him. I can't remember. It was six years ago. I mean, I would have. Um, Right? I wouldn't have answered. <laughs> I said, busy. Yeah, I don't know. Um, even then, I'm still trying to make it easier for other people. Like, no, this is happening. Um, and so these neighbors have these three tall trees. And I have a picture, which I probably showed you. I can show you again. Um, Post at it to some the point, Insta. At some point, they explode. <gasps> and so burning fronds are now falling. And I was like, cool, I'm out. And so I turn off the hose and I turn off as much of like all the water things because I know fire department's coming and you want them to have the best pressure as possible. Um, third roommate who was doing the comedy thing, also a massive exercise junkie. So I had I push the hose out of the way so that no one trips on it. I mean, there's an exercise bike out there, a heavy bag. I clear all of it. And then I go into the house, I get the dogs, and then I just hang, like, I open up every gate possible that I know that the firemen um, may need to get through, and I just hang out on the street in my PJs with two dogs. It's like 10, 10.30 on a Saturday night. That's when you start singing Beach Boys to yourself, like, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if this would stop? Yeah, I was just, like, hanging out by my car, because I park on the street, 
and I, I was seriously thinking like, can I just go somewhere? But I'm like, no, no one else is home. I should be here when the fire department comes. Yeah. And so I was, and then I told them, I was like, yeah, neighbor house is on fire. Ours is, none of ours is on fire yet. I hose down this much as possible. I cleared the path directly to there. There's a hose, like, and a faucet here. Do I don't know what else. What <laughs> you do? Yeah. And uh, the, the the fire chief was like, "Oh, thanks." And I was like, I, "Can you're I welcome. have money for that?" Right. And then my roommate's dog, like my my dog, is real fucking chill. My Italian greyhound. I'm in love with her. And so Piper was chill and just sitting and was like, "Why are we?" out in the cold and I was like I'm sorry uh my roommate's dog starts losing his little doggy mind at the fireman and I'm just like shut the fuck up they're gonna save our house <laughs> like please stop oh my god yes it reminds me Amy one time lost her mind at a repairman but in like the best way she was like this guy is the best oh and was no. so upset that he left that she pouted for three oh. hours like it was it was great like she was a mess but the other way yeah um and so then my my roommate finally comes back um and is able to you know actually enter the street because <laughs> well because they had yeah, people cordoned off for a while and i was just like and you have a stupid street I yeah mean, and i um, won't describe further but you have a stupid street yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's like ten thirty on Saturday night. I'm like halfway soaked in my PJs with a couple of dogs. One who is barking his fool head off, <laughs> and I'm just like, this is not how I thought my Saturday night was gonna go. <laughs> not even I a little bit. <laughs> a date with destiny, and she ordered it flambe. Yeah, <laughs> um, those delightful. <laughs> For yeah. those of us who are in the future and not six years ago, Rana, who was fighting fire. Yeah. I uh, And I put that on Facebook where I was just like, I am standing on the street in cold pajamas. Man, you should have started a GoFundMe for that. <laughs> I mean, GoFundMe back then wasn't so much of a thing. Yeah, I know. I, I, thi- think. I think of it. Well, no, it was. It was kind of a thing. Because um, that's when I, I like moved here. Medical. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it was movies or medical. Yeah. Um, I moved here six years ago. Mm. So this would have been around right the time around I moved here. It was like April. I 20... moved here in June. Yeah, so just before. Um, wait, I'm going to find that picture. Hi, Amy. But yeah. Well, let's wrap this puppy up yep. real quick because I think Amy has to pee. So yeah, she might. Jesus Christ, that looks like the Eye of Sauron. Someone someone told Text us that it this. looks like uh, Hogwarts burning. <laughs> Text me this so I can put it on the Instagram. Okay. You can't see our house number, can you? No, no. I'm going to crop it. There's like a little bit of I a don't want you people to know where we live. No. <laughs> as cool as it may sound, no. it's nowhere. And also, someone catcalled me this morning as I was <gasps> carrying out trash and looking a hot mess. No. And I was like... Thank you for letting me know I am only hot when I look a mess. Do you remember when TLC's No Scrubs came out? Yeah, that's how I feel. He was on a bicycle. Oh, my God. So I, when that song came out, I was still at UCLA, and I was like, that's weird. I mean, it was a great – I love this song. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm like, man, do people do that? And then I was walking um, 
what is that road? Uh, where the frets and sororities are. Um, I don't know you, Sally. It uh, it's not Gailey. It's it's one over. Um, people in Southern California would know around the UCLA area. It's where Frat Frat Row is. Um, and I was walking down that, and some dude in the passenger side of a car cat called me, and I was like, Oh my god, it's a real thing. It really is. I didn't I didn't know that it was until then. It's it's happened to me before, but um, getting catcalled from a bicycle was a whole new experience for me. Yeah, I and I was holding like an and like an in and out bag to throw away into the dumpster. I'm impressed you didn't throw it at him. I was too far away oh. and had just woken up. I was like, did I just? No, hear that, that would that would be when I would be most likely to accidentally do a thing like that. Yeah, but then I'd have to pick it up. That's true. You know, and I'm like, you know, kind of the least resistance. Most likely, I probably would have, like, barked at him <laughs> if I realized what had happened. But it, like, you know, registered too late because, like, I either smile too well at people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that smile. I will not be posting that smile on the Insta. Uh, <laughs> uh, yet. Uh, or I, like... Thank you, because I can't wait to put the Eye of Sauron on there for <laughs> as the promo picture of this episode. Want to know how this house burned? Uh, fire. <laughs> it's gonna be a gas. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I just hadn't registered it, and then he was too far away, and then I was like, "Damn, I could have barked at him." Mm. Like to do something totally wrong, because like I've done that to people who look at me in a car. Like, I'm in the passenger seat, and, like, some, somebody will look at me, and I'll be like, <laughs> and it's really fun. It's fun for me, because I feel like I'm being stared at, and, like, if you're going to stare at me, get ready. I was once on the 405 in in the passing lane, and uh, there was um, two guys in the carpool lane, because, you know, I'm next to it, and the 405 traffic is shitty, and so everything was starting to slow down. And then dude starts making, like, a roll-down-your-window motion at me. And I'm just like... Not today. No. <laughs> what? No. no. That's weird. Like, what What the fuck do you think is going to happen on a goddamn freeway? You know what's going to happen is me throw my empty coffee cup into your right. car, roll my window up, and leave. Apparently, I am very good at judgmental, like, side-eye. Love it. Um. So, yeah, they got that face. <laughs> Did he stop? Uh, no, he ended up rolling his window back up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, (laughs) we are giving you the judgmental side eye of appreciation and we will be back (laughs) maybe next week. I have no idea what my posting schedule is because I'm a trash can, but spooky season has begun. Um, Yes. It is ushered in with my birthday. I'm turning an age, and uh, an age it is. And <laughs> but uh, yes, I know that oh, yes. I tend to make these decisions very last minute. Snap judgment. Snap judgment is best judgment. And thank you, Rana, for being on the show today. Oh, sure. Thanks for letting me ramble. I love <laughs> the rambles, and hopefully this was like a three-in-one. Oh, yeah. There are many stories. There is. Am I coming back for that other one? Oh, guess what? We have a teaser. So, Rana, not only 
was here for this, but she will drop her teaser for her next episode. Want to hit it? Do I have to say anything specific about it? No, say whatever you want. Um, so, so I come from a small town in Central Valley, California, that had kind of a very large case. Kind of. Yeah, that is also made a resurgence lately. I didn't read the headlines. Something new has happened? Apparently something's new happened. We don't know what, but... We'll find out. We're going to find out. It might have something to to do with Pot Skeeterson. Dun, <laughs> dun, dun. So we will see you next time on Let's Talk About the Facts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Talk About Facts. That's T-A-L-K. A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S. Toodles!